The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. Oh, no. Hold on. <laughs> Can't be real. That's got to be a joke. Jerry, you there? I am here. Oh, there we go. Phew. All right. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, Mike. Uh, I was uh, I was going to ask you how your all-star break was, but I'm guessing you don't get much of an all-star break between the draft and everything else. So what have you been doing the last few days? Yeah, you know, you called it. We've we've not really had a break. Today's the first day, truly, of, of any type of break. But, you know, we went through the, the MLB draft and and right now we're just tapping the brakes for 24 hours and trying to take a breather before getting back after it tomorrow. Cool. Did you uh, did you get to watch the Derby though? Yes, I did get to watch the Derby, and it was a blast. It was, uh, I honestly not a surprise either. We've he, he he rises to those moments, and his personality just jumps through the TV. And I think uh, you know anyone who was watching that Derby saw close and personal what we've been watching for years with Julio and just only this year on the major league stage. You know, it's funny. We had heard some rumors that he didn't hit that many home runs in batting practice in general. And so there was some question as to whether or not he'd be good at this. And he pretty well dispensed with that right off the bat. You know, I I think a lot of people, when, when you go watch a major league batting practice and, and, you know, I'll, I'll, throw back a reference to Edgar Martinez, just that you see that professional BP, the guy who starts out in right center field as a right-hand hitter, just works the ball around the field and, you know, hitting his line drives. And they really don't turn on the power until the end. And, and, and Julio hits his BP like that. And, you know, I will say that if you're on the backfields in Peoria any day in spring training, since Julio was 17 years old, you, you would never question if he had power <laughs> because it's uh, he hits him long and he hits him frequently. Well, it was fun and, and just really cool to see you know him and almost the the magnetism he had. We talked to Jeff Passan uh, yesterday and he mentioned the fact that all of the other guys, you know, all these other all stars, grown men who've been in the game a while, all wanted to be around Julio. Uh, Brock mentioned the word relatability in talking about one of the things that sets him apart. How how relatable is is Julio to whoever he's around? It's a, it, that's just who he is. You know, he's so personal and and he's so genuine, and you and you feel it. It jumps through. You know, really when you meet him, and it reminds me a little bit. You know, I, years ago, and when Mike Trout first came to the big leagues, and. You know, he went to the All-Star game in 2012 as a rookie and you know he's just 20 years old and and the 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 luminaries of the game all sought him out. They wanted to be around him and you know because there's a little bit of a sensation but more because the the way they go about their business is is very similar. You know, it's high respect for the game. They do it the right way. It's a they they play the game with joy and 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 the and the electric ability on the field for players you know, I, I guess the guys with game identify the other guys with game pretty quickly, and then it's not hard to tell that Julio has that. And and the best players in the world have identified it. Do you get calls after something like that from friends in the game or other GMs or anybody who's like, hey, I, I know I asked for Julio in a trade a few years ago. You obviously did the right thing by not giving him to him. Do you get texts like that? 
Oh no, I, I, but I do get it from you know from family members saying, "Wow, he's awesome." <laughs> <laughs> They're right. Uh, I think uh, pretty much all of Seattle was saying the same thing. Um, it looks like uh, you guys got some good news. Mitch Haniger uh, going to be starting his rehab assignment tomorrow night. What does that look like? You know, I, hopefully it's uh, it's sooner than later, but we just take it day by day and. You know, sometime over the next, you know, two to three weeks, we should have Mitch back in our, our major league fold. And, you know, obviously we will we'll move into the water slowly. I think a couple of DH days to start, and then we'll start introducing outfield play. And, and uh, as soon as Mitch has his timing down and his legs underneath him, you know, he'll be back in our lineup. I wanted to clarify something, and, and I think you, you already did with what you just said, but the, the tweet last night from... Uh, the Aqua Sox that he was going to be there over the weekend. I think it led some people to believe or wonder, oh, is that it? He's only there for the weekend. Does that mean he's coming up after that? I assume it's only that because then they go out on the road and, and the Rainiers are in town. That's correct. So it's, we'll keep him here in the Seattle area. And, and next week, if all goes well, he'll transition to Tacoma. And you know, it, as I said, a couple of DH days and then introduce the outfield. We are going to make sure, and, and Mitch will help us to make sure that, that he is fully ready to go before we run him back out on a big league field. And, and that's going to be complete games in the outfield and, and playing the outfield on back-to-back days. And things of that nature need to be checked off before we activate them at the major league level. Has Kyle Lewis checked those things off? Yes, and uh, and you know, fingers crossed, we'll see him tomorrow night. That's pretty exciting. Um, have you guys already? I, mean, I don't know if you have to say now, but interesting roster moves that you would have to make in order to make that happen. But the expectation is he'll be in the lineup and on the roster tomorrow. That is the expectation. So you know, barring a late surprise, you know that that is in motion, and, and we anticipate. And I don't know that he'll be in the lineup, but he will be on our roster for certain. And um, you know, the lineup is, is up to Scott, but we'll see how that plays out. And we do expect Kyle to be part of the part of the group tomorrow. And how much uh, do you think he'll be able to play the outfield versus DH when he returns? You know, he won't play the outfield every day. Obviously, that's not something that we feel great about. And, you know, he has played the outfield a couple of times during this rehab stint and he feels confident that he can do it. So, you know, getting him out in left field, probably against left-hand pitching to, to alleviate the, 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 the need to move players around the lineup. You know, with Carlos Santana swinging such a hot bat, with Jesse Winker swinging a hot bat, you know, to, we want to make sure that we're keeping all of the, the best players on the field as frequently as we can. But we'll still need to give Kyle some, some breaks some scheduled rests. He won't play every day, and this will allow us to create that rotation and really, when Mitch comes back, it'll be in, in you know full gear, and and we'll watch the players rotate through that DH spot like we had envisioned at the start of the season. Do you need to find um, at bats as that occurs, as guys start to return? Will you be looking to find ways to get Sam Haggerty in the lineup? You know, it's it's going to be Hags, it's going to be Dylan Moore, both of whom over these last three weeks, as we've surged, have been key to our our performance. They've done a great job in, in filling in for first suspended players or injured players. And, and they've been drivers for us oftentimes from the bottom of that lineup. And it'll be a challenge to find them, you know, plate appearances with, you know, between first base DH, those corner outfield spots, 
there's just not a lot to be had once we get Hanny and, and Kyle back in the fold. So, you know, it, that's I guess that's why Scott has his job is to be creative and <laughs> figuring out a way to 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 get those players on the field. How about um, with Ty France? I mean, he's played first base essentially exclusively exclusively this year, other than when he's DH. But in his past, he's played some second and third. I mean, you could write out a lineup that involves him at second base in order to get Santana and Lewis and 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 all into the lineup at once. Could we see some Ty France at second base? Uh, I don't know that the answer to that question, to be honest with you, that's going to be up to Scott, up to Ty France. You know, I, Ty has played first base and, and he is just coming back off of a, an elbow injury to his, his off throwing arm, but we won't ask him to do anything that he's not comfortable doing. And, you know, he's, he's also been a borderline gold glove quality first baseman. And, you know, he was a consideration for the award last year. We think he's doing equally as good a job this year. So moving him has, has its detractions as well. And, and I guess additionally, with Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore and, and what has been a resurgent Adam Frazier over the last week or 10 days, at the, that complicates matters further. Yeah, But uh, you just find a way to get your best players in the lineup and, and keep them fresh for as long as you can. And you know this will give us a chance in the second half to, to really allow guys to, to get that extra day of rest. And, and that way we're not running on fumes when we come down the, the, the pike at the end. How was uh, having the draft at the All-Star break? You know, it's it's challenging. We we have, with the All-Star game, with the trade deadline looming, with the draft, it, it does present its challenges and from a timing perspective. But once you get engaged in the draft meetings and, and become familiar with the players in each draft class, and, you know, we all sit in these these draft rooms for for three weeks and and as we're watching it unfold you you get attached to certain names in the pool and players you'd really like to have as part of your organization and that makes the time go quicker and and it doesn't seem like you're working you're it's 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 one of my favorite things we do in baseball and and uh you know i i wish we would have had a a little bit more time to to be able to do the other parts of our job (laughs) but you know that's not the way it works and and uh, we we adjust, we do what we have to do, and and we're thrilled with how the three days treated us in total. Yeah, tell me about some of uh, of the kids you got, starting with Cole Young, first rounder, uh, high school shortstop. Who is he, and and why was he your first round pick? You know, Cole, he's an eighteen year old shortstop from the Pittsburgh area, and it's uh, we thought one of the most well rounded high school players in this draft and you know Cole's greatest strength is that he does everything well and and he can really hit I think it's one of the prettiest swings in the draft our scouts did a wonderful job getting to know the person Uh, you know we did a lot of recon in in regard to who Cole Young is because that's so important to to what we do with our system and felt like he was a great fit for us and you know he we feel like he stays at shortstop. He does everything average to plus, and we really think that the bat is going to be a carrying tool for him and, and allow him to, to play every day at the major league level. What did I see? Somebody compared his swing to Wade Boggs. That's a pretty good comp. You know, I'd say I've heard I've heard something like Wade Boggs. Uh, I heard someone comp the, the swing or the, the, the total package to a young Robin Ventura. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it is a really pretty swing. And, 
you know, it's a, for whatever reason, when left-handers can really execute that smooth, fluid swing, it just looks different than other guys. And, and Cole has a little bit of that in his, in his swing. What uh, what kind of shape is your farm system in in general? I mean, obviously, you guys had all the honors from Baseball America, et cetera. And then a lot of the guys that, that helped get you to the top of the farm system rankings became major leaguers and are delivering at the major league level, which is obviously amazing. But what does it do to your farm system? What kind of shape is it in in general right now? Oh, we think it's in great shape, you know, and now the, the likelihood of us being the top or, or second ranked farm system in the league in the next year or two is unlikely simply because of what you said. You know, we, we graduated Logan Gilbert and Cal Raleigh and George Kirby and, you know, it start lining them up. Some guy named Julio. And yeah. Yeah, that, that, that works, too. <laughs> so, you know, when you graduate, you know, four or five of the top hundred prospects in baseball, you know, you may drop in the rankings, but frankly, we feel like we're, you know, just as built up, especially at the A levels as we've ever been. And, you know, especially with these last two draft classes and, and our international signings, guys like Noelve Marte and Edwin Arroyo and Harry Ford have been phenomenal. We've had a resurgent summer from Emerson Hancock, who really has reestablished that he is a real guy and, there's so many positive things happening in our in our minor league system and and you know it may not represent itself with the the high ranking that we've achieved with, with some of this group but you know when you're competing at the major league level we still have the second youngest team in the American League and and we still have a farm system that we think stands out as an above average system that's what we were hoping to achieve is to create those ways that just keep on coming you're a couple of weeks still now from the trade deadline, but it's obviously getting a lot closer. What is your philosophy on adding superstar level impact talent through trade at the deadline? Uh, I'm open to anything. And, and I know we are organizationally open to anything that helps us get better and has impact. And, you know, there, there are, there are potential opportunities and we have to stay in tune with what they are. And then we have to understand what our biggest needs are. And, you know, I'll reestablish, and I said this last week, our biggest need or our primary objective going into this this deadline is to find a way to add to our rotation. And if that means, you know, impact at the top and then some type of timeshare at the back, primarily because we want to help to manage George Kirby's innings and, and not overtax him in the second half. And we also understand that the fortune of going through the first half with five healthy starters who've taken every turn and pitched as well as they have, you know, is, is we're tempting fate if we don't provide some help for that group. So that'll be our primary focus. And, and beyond that, anything that impacts our club, we're, we're willing to explore. And you, know, it's, you will pay premium prices at the, at the trade deadline, and that's just part of it. But you know, when you are in a position like we're in, you have to be willing to consider anything. Yeah. Are the prices higher? Is it harder to put together a big deal at the deadline than it is, say, in the winter at the winter meeting? No, I actually think it's a little easier. And, the you know, the deadline is what it is. You know going in that you are paying a tax because you are in a, the position of a contender and, and you just accept that that's part of the, the routine in the off season, you're trying as best you can to, to avoid paying that tax. And, you know, it's the, the, the trade deadline market, especially today with the additional wildcard team, with so many teams within shouting distance of the, you know, playoff spot, 
just means that fewer players are available. So those, you know, those marquee names, those guys that, that do change or, or create immediate impact for a contender, they're going to cost you. And, you know, you just have to understand that that's part of the price of doing business. So how much time, I would think you must spend a lot of time before this doing a lot of self-scouting of not just the major league team, but especially your minor league system to really know who is quote unquote untouchable or less touchable and who you can afford to give up. No, we, we do that around the clock. And that's something truly that's going on year round. We're constantly evaluating and, and turning in scouting reports on our own players the, the most important thing you will do is know what you have in your system. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I will say that, that having, you know, having changed organizations, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of times over the course of my career, the biggest challenge when you enter an organization is that is, is knowing what you have. And, you know, we've been here now together for long enough that we're very confident in knowing, you know, what we have in our system and, and there's, I will say that if you want to go to the to the top of the the available players' food chain, there is no such thing as an untouchable player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to get involved in some of those conversations, and that's the the reality of it. So that's a you have to determine whether you're willing to cross that line, and uh, because the other team is not going to see it as oh they're untouchable, we'll go to the next guy. <laughs> that's just not how the trade the trade discussions work, especially at the deadline. Even, I mean, and, and I know he's not technically a prospect anymore. I would assume that Julio Rodriguez becomes about as untouchable as anyone in the league right now, though, right? Oh, without a doubt. There, there's uh, Julio will be a Mariner for as long as we can keep Julio there. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, I, any, anything beyond that would be crazy. It, the major league players are entirely different. You know, my, my reference was to your prospect system. There is no team in the league that when you say, yeah, these five guys are off limits, they're just going to hang up on you and move on to the next team. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, those are, those are statements or positions you can take in the off season. But at the trade deadline, if you want to fish at the top of the pool, you, you have to understand that that's, those are not things that are, that are likely to play. You're just roughly telling them we're not, particularly interested in making this trade we uh we saw last year some really big names move at the deadline right uh, shortstops etc i mean it was a it was a pretty interesting active and big name kind of a trade deadline do you think we will see any really big names move this year i don't know you know it's uh again it's it, we're still it's still fairly ambiguous who's available and who's not and uh some of that is going to start really i guess transpiring over this weekend as teams come back out of their their draft mode and we get into the start of the second half and and we reestablish hard connection on on a lot of these trade discussions and you know and our our scouting group has been deployed we've got targets that we're we're actively going to go out and scout over the course of the next you know five to seven days and as soon as you blink it's going to be august 2nd and we're going to have to make decisions on on where we go and my guess is that this year, the trade deadline, because of some of the, the nuances we've discussed in, in these last couple of weeks, that the, the, the real action, like was the case last year, will happen in the final you know, 48 hours. Jerry, do you have, we talked about this last year, uh, the ability to take on money in order to give up less in the way of prospects in a deal. Is that, is that the type of conversation you guys are still having with teams at times? 
Yeah, I think that's more of an off-season thing than a than a trade deadline thing. Okay. You know, there's the those types of of scenarios don't play very often during the the trade deadline discussions. That that is typically more of a you know a December discussion. So if you're having a ta- a conversation about a player and and they're saying, okay, well we want you to you know include prospects A, B, C, and D, and you're like, geez, that's a lot. I don't want to give up all of those guys. Hey, you've got a struggling so and so who's still making X amount of money. Can I take him back? That's something you don't see as much at the deadline. That's correct. Okay. Well, it's it's fascinating. I love it. This is my favorite time of year, Jerry. I've I've told you before. The trade deadline, I think, is the coolest day in the sports calendar. It is uh, just a couple of weeks away, and uh, I will envy your job over the next few days because I'm sure it's a lot of work, but also a tremendous amount of fun. Yeah, it's it's a blast. Like you, I love it. And you know, now adding the draft to this stretch, this is about as fun a 30 day period as you can have doing what we do in baseball ops. Especially fun when your team is one twenty two of twenty five. It doesn't stink. <laughs> it doesn't stink. <laughs> do you feel? Do you feel like a lot of your patience is is really paying off right now? I mean, just from a from a personal standpoint. I mean, when things weren't going well in you know late May, June, etc., it had to be incredibly frustrating because you're looking at all of the data, everything you put together, and saying, "Why isn't this translating out on the field?" And then all of a sudden you get this stretch where it all comes together. It's got to be personally gratifying to watch. It's incredibly gratifying. And and I know it is for for our development system, our scouts, our front office group. And, and that extends beyond just baseball operations. It's our business ops and our marketing group. Because this is, you know, this is what we envisioned our 2022 season looking like and you know but the way it happened and and how it came together was quite unusual (laughs) you know it's we've i I talked about it yesterday with a with a friend you know we we're now i think only 53 teams in major league history it's it's been i think close to 220,000 games that have ever been played in our league and and only 53 teams have ever won 14 in a row Hmm. and that's uh that's pretty significant and you know, to, to experience what we're experiencing and to be doing it with the young foundation that we always thought would be, you know, the, the, that watershed group for the Mariners and, and to watch some of the, the veterans who've come on and, and really excelled. It's, it, it's all clicking for us in ways that you couldn't possibly have predicted, especially two months ago. And we always believed that it would happen. I know from Scott and the staff to the players in that clubhouse and, uh, you know, I won't say that, that during the, the dark days of May, you weren't looking in the mirror and thinking, boy, did we just get this wrong? But uh, we we always stuck with the plan, and, and thankfully we're in a better position because of that, and, and hopefully we can continue to play this way. You know, we won't win all the rest of our games, but it sure feels like we might. Yeah, you might. I think most people here now just believe you're going to win the win out at this point and uh, be the best team of all time. Um, Jerry, it's been a lot of fun watching and talking about this team over the last few weeks. Thank you, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. All right, Mike. Sounds good.